Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unscripted Equity Curiosity. My name is Ami Joseph. I'm the Sector Head for Technology here at Hedge. With me today, as always, are Felix Wang and, and Andrew Friedman, Sector Heads for China and Communications. And this is Unscripted Equity Curiosity, a Hedge Eye podcast. Uh, and this is season three, episode 11. Uh, so we're two and a half seasons into our podcast. And in this podcast, we discuss ideas that are related to investing, whether it's thematic or macro or sometimes specific stocks or major changes uh, or major changes in our assumptions. And we battle it back and forth. And this is the cutting room floor of research and a lot of the process that we use that generates ideas that go directly into our uh, longs and shorts that populate our specific recommendations that we have here at Hedgehog. Today, we have a special guest. His name is Daniel Biolsi. He is the sector head for staples, uh, for consumer staples here at Hedgeye. He's been at Hedgeye for six years, um, is originally a University of Virginia graduate uh, back a couple of decades ago, and uh, has worked across Wall Street, including having worked at some point at Lehman Brothers, um, at uh, Weisbeck and Greer, at North Sound Capital, Glenhill Capital, long career on the buy side. Uh, before joining us here at Hedgeye. And one of the things that struck me about uh, Daniel is very early on, I noticed he has a sharp uh, buy side mind uh, cutting through a lot of BS and right through to the key investment parameters. I noticed this at one point when uh, both Lyft and Uber were going public and, and Daniel and I were talking about uh, Lyft at, I think it was a Christmas party at the time. And um you know, I take I take every new no matter what the how much BS I take it seriously. Oh, it's changed people's lives. It's so much better than taxi, whatever, etc. And Daniel's like, it's a short. <laughs> and we just had a great discussion. It was fantastic, and we did end up shorting Lyft, and that was a good one. Um, so, uh, Daniel, uh, thank you for joining us. We're pleased to have you here today. Thanks, Ami, and thanks uh, Andrew and Felix for having me on. It's a pleasure. And so, uh, so I, I want to um, go with first with uh, a question that's kind of topical um, because you presented on Molson, uh, I believe yesterday, um, yes. yesterday, and for our listeners, you'll be getting this in a couple of days, so it's it's within the same week. Um, and um, I, I don't remember. Um, I, I've been around a little bit, and I don't remember boycott economics being so powerful that, or, or maybe I'll put it this way. Like I, I don't remember seeing a movie called how to kill a brand in 10 days. Um, and I, I want to take a step back and like, understand like, how are you, how are you thinking about this? Cause this is going to be this, uh, we're talking about the Bud Light debacle here. And this is going to be like Harvard business case 101 for like, you know, how, how not to do marketing, right? Like, Immediate, like, you know, immediate impact, you know, the opposite of what you're supposed to do with marketing. Um, and so I, I kind of just want to understand, like, what, like, if you were to take this, I mean, maybe give us, like, how you see this conflict, how you see this situation, you know, winners and losers, fine, however, whatever the outtakes are, but maybe we can widen it. And, like, if you think about, Coke and Pepsi and whatever, and like other major brands, like how do you, how are you thinking about this, um, how this plays out on a go forward uh, basis uh, across like the wider spectrum of brands in the United States? 
Sure. And I think it's a great question. I'd like to get your all perspectives as well. You know, I, I actually don't think it's a boycott. That's not what I really consider it as, because like you said, I mean, boycotts really haven't been successful in the past. And and maybe I should say that that they're successful, but not not to lower the sales of the target. Oftentimes, boycotts are just for their own PR purposes of the people calling for the boycotts. So like if you think of PETA or Greenpeace, they do plenty of boycotts. And I don't think you could name a single company that they've tried to boycott where it's been successful, but obviously they are successful because they keep doing it, right? Um, because it gets them more attention, maybe more donors, more media attention for the group itself. Um, so I actually don't think this is much more like a boycott. I think it's more like a like a brand injury. Um, like it's an impaired brand now. Like one of the one of the comparisons I have thought of, and, and Felix covered this company at the time, I believe, was the Costa, the Concordia sinking in Italy and you know people died right Felix was like something like 30 people died and who wanted to get back on that cruise line for, for dude that was a that was an unfortunate incident I remember that uh yeah some people died there just because the captain got way out of control but uh yeah those were fun times I mean not not so fun fun times for many but it was interesting to take a look at yeah Right. And so I think of it as not that dissimilar to something like that, or, you know, Jack in the Box had this food poisoning of E. coli where a bunch of kids died in, in you know, the 90s, um, where the, the brand is really injured and, and, and impaired. And, and it's not that people are just boycotting it. It's, it's because there's like this social aspect of drinking this beer where, you know, your friends would be saying, don't drink that beer. Like, look what you're doing. And that's what's kind of unusual about it, you know. Um, so I don't, I don't think of it as, a, as much of a boycott. And, you know, in terms of my outlook, I think it's my what I'm saying is I think the duration is going to be long. The, the brand is, is I won't say forever impaired, but it's it's more than just, you know, months. Right. So the company, when it actually most of course guided um, a couple of weeks into the, the quarter, they assumed that this wouldn't continue because they didn't really know. But, uh, you know, so the estimates, I think, are, are just too low because. Molson Coors, you know, they, they manufacture um, Miller Light and Coors Light, and they're a clear beneficiary because, gosh, how many people can tell the difference, right? It's really just about marketing. It's, I mean, that's that's so fun. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, just to throw in a personal anecdote for what it's worth, like just, you know, Memorial Day weekend, the weather here was beautiful, lots of barbecues going on, uh, you know, uh, I was with some pretty avid, you know, Bud Light drinkers and, you know, it was very obvious that the Bud Lights have switched over to Coors Lights. Like it's, um, and there's like a, definitely a social element to it as well. And we were, I was talking, I was speaking with him and he was just like, yeah, you know, it's all just kind of tastes the same at the end of the day. You know, I just, you know, Coors Light, Bud Light doesn't really make a difference, right? Like, so in terms of there just being an easy substitute, and, you know, potentially it being, um, you know, take longer. I mean, from a, you know, obviously I cover the advertising marketing space, but like in terms of like marketing one-on-one, it's like know your customer, right? right? Like, you know, um, and there's a spectrum of ways you can take it, right? You know, it's, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's potentially like, I would, it makes sense to me, like that it would be impaired potentially, right? I mean, it's, uh. Well, and, and so what happened to the, so what was it exactly like in terms of the chief, was it a new chief marketing officer that they brought in or 
Like right. what, do you know the details in terms of exactly like how this, you know, how this happened? Well, sure. I, I, as best as I understand it, what, what, what they did was they hired uh, maybe a year ago, a new head of Bud Light marketing. And, you know, it was the first female in charge of the Bud Light brand, I think in their history. And, you know, I think she did, you know, pretty well early on. And, you know, that's a big, as you know, Andrew, a huge marketing budget. And, you know, she was named to the head. And so she was, you know, quickly claimed by, you know, one of these ad agencies as, you know, 40 movers under 40 years old, you know, um, you know, so I, I, this is my personal read into it. I think that was kind of getting to, to her head. Right. And then she did this Super Bowl ad. Um, I don't know if you remember it. It has it had the actor from Maverick um, and his girlfriend, supermodel, Miles Teller and his girlfriend. They, they did this ad and, you know, people liked it. It was trying to reach a young audience it's fine. You know, like it wasn't that memorable for me, but I'm not the target audience. Right. So that's, that's what they're trying to do. And she did this podcast a couple of weeks before the ad, uh, the Dylan Mulvaney um, Instagram or TikTok thing came out. And, and she, in that podcast, she was saying how the brand got, was getting too old, too fratty and, you know, too much, you know, humor in, in the ads and they wanted to go younger. So this wasn't by accident. And that's, that's sort of like the, it gives you a little bit of that was, that, was, think, that was the tipping point of it where yeah like that getting yeah, to her that, head yeah i mean that's uh yeah it's it's uh it's a sensitive world we live in and brands are you know sensitive it could take a long you know decades to build and it can become impaired pretty quickly hi robert mcgordy here director of subscriber development at hedgeye hope you're enjoying our podcast start generating alpha with our suite of sector pro investing research products Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Just the difference between this example and the ones you mentioned a second ago um, is that if, if someone ate, if someone had eaten the Jack in the Box, right, they would have gotten E. coli. And of course, even though the new versions didn't have E. coli, people were scared like, oh, crap, this this company has bad um, procedures, quality control, and they they, they risk the customer's uh, health. Uh, likewise, the Concordia sinking, uh, you're like, well, why would I go um, with this cruise line? Uh, they're clearly not maintaining their boats properly. And I'd rather go with a company more reputable that doesn't have sinking ships and I, and I will live if I go on a cruise. So whereas this, like, what is the risk for drinking a Bud Light? Like what, what did, like, it, the, there is something very different between those examples and this one. Um, and I agree with you about impairment. And I agree with you. There's some kind of like, there's something here that's like really messed up. I, I'm just trying to put my finger on this shift and, 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 um, I, it, it's something, do you see what I'm trying to say? Like it is a little bit yeah. different than those. Right. So I, I give you a little bit of a background that might also help because, you know, it depends on, on what state you live in, but there have been 75 anti-transgender bills, you know, passed in 2023, we're right, not even halfway through the year compared to, I think it was 26 last year. So if you live in some of these states, transgender bills, rights, whatever you want to call it, are, are top of mind. They are the, the most, you know, uh, I guess most debated of the culture war 
issues, right? And so that's what this stepped into, I guess, because in some states, you know, like in Connecticut, I don't think we have any bill, or I'm not aware of anything. So there's not much of a sort of a debate. But if you live in some of these other states, it is top of mind. And Bud Light, you know, who shouldn't know marketing, stepped into, uh, you know, a very hot topic without doing any sort of due diligence on what that impact would be on their customer, if that makes sense, right? And so I think that was really um, poor management to let just, you know, one or two executives do that when there's so many parties involved and, you know, there's so many stakeholders, right? And then a company like this, you know, it's a third party, you know, they distribute through distributors, right? They have a ton of employees and, and to just sort of jump in so, you know, on you know, without you know proper surveys done or, or knowing their customer, et cetera, right? So I think that's the other aspect is um, that it's a really top of mind subject right now and, you know, certain places more than others. So if you didn't know how big of a deal it was, I think it might be, reflect like, you know, what you've just been hearing about. Now, now um, do you mind if I jump in on me? I just, so I, I have two questions. The first is um, like, can you just maybe quant like any way to quantify like Bud Light's market share within its category? And then, you know, have you seen like, what evidence have you seen to like, in terms of share gains, maybe to other brands or even other brands within kind of the overall parent company? Um, and then also just curious, like, what is their plan of action to try to address this? Like, what have they communicated to investors? Okay. I try to remember all, all of those. That's okay. I'm so, a, yeah. Yeah. I'm good for asking questions. I'll, I'll remember, I'll remember them. Don't worry. Bud Light is the number one brand in U.S. beer. It is. So it, it obviously they, they also allocate it by segment. So within the, um, domestic segment that it, it sits in, it has, you know, sort of double the share of Miller Lite and Coors Light, who are number two and number three. Um, you know, so how big is Bud Light to a Anheuser-Busch InBev, right? It's a very large global company. So Bud Light itself is about 5% of global volumes. So, you know, at first, you know, you know and, and so their sales, which still haven't bottomed yet. And, and I'm just talking about volumes because right now they're literally giving the beer away. Like they're literally giving you a rebate for almost the entire purchase price for Memorial wow. Day weekend. Um, so their, their sales, their volumes are down 29 and a half percent in the last week. And each week just keeps ticking down. Not, not a lot, but you know, one or 2% worse than the last week. So still decelerating trends and um, Miller Lite, Coors Light, uh, you know, for, Molson cores, and that's why we went long it, it's about a third of their global volumes. So, um, you know, as, if you switch the lost Bud Light sales to Molson cores, it's going to have a much bigger impact for them than it does for, for Bud Light. But what, what's hurting um, Anheuser-Busch InBev is it's dragging down the other brands now. You know, it's, the consumer is actually smarter than anyone gave them credit for, right? They they own a ton of brands, and at first, you know, people were making fun that you know, they're going to switch from Bud Light to, you know, Michelob Ultra, which is owned by the same company, but they're actually, you know, they're not drinking that either. I mean, they're, I mean, the sales are down, just not down as much. They're down like, let's say 10%. So all the other Budweiser brands to, to some degree, depending on how much, you know, familiarity with who owns it, they're all going down with it. And then, you know, in terms of that social aspect that we talked about, and I got this wrong initially, I thought on-premise, which means like at the stadium, at the restaurant and bar, would hold up better than what you're drinking at home, but it's actually worse. And it's that social aspect. That's what it means to me. Um, you know, Nick Balch, who works on our team, 
he was in a bar in Boston and he purposely ordered Bud Light on purpose and everyone was heckling him. People were like trying to, you know, out of their own sort of good nature, were trying to inform him of what happened so he can make better decisions on his own. Wow. You know, like, that says a lot, you know, and this is in Boston, right? People were like, wait, did you not see the ad? Let me explain this to you. Everyone was sort of like strangers were trying to explain it to him, like to get him in on what had happened. And that's, that's the social aspect of this. So that's why on-premise looks like it's doing even worse than the at-home consumption. Got it. And so besides giving the beer away for free, like what, what are they trying to do? Like, have they tried new brand campaigns? I mean, obviously they let go the, the head of marketing, um, you know, it, it's, it seems like it's kind of a, a you know, a, a death spiral almost. And it's like, at some point it will probably, <laughs> you know, stop, but at the same time, uh, you know, if, if they're giving it away and it's not helping, then, you know, that's even a bigger problem. Right. And, and so they're giving away, they sort of almost have to, right. It takes about a month to make a beer. So, you know, as their sales are going down, they're still making way more, way too much beer. Right. So they can either buy it back and pour it down the drain or just, kind of give it away at the retail and which will save money, right? Because their trucks don't have to come back full. So uh, forever, but it's, it's what's happening around Memorial Day, right? This is this starts off the peak beer season. Um, so what have they done? The, 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 you know, they did one like tweet basically and everyone heckled them so much, you know, all, all the comments that they really haven't tweeted anything else since. They did one ad. It was um, sort of like a couple of young people at a country music concert, you know, it, I'm not a country music um, Siano or anything, but it's supposed to be a, a big song that every country fan knows. And, you know, people were upset they even used that song. It had, you know, it was just, just like a summer concert sort of song and they had to disable the comments on YouTube and stuff because so many people just wanted wow. to comment on the situation. So then that was it. Um, what, what they've told the, the public distributors, et cetera, is that they're pulling back marketing dollars from global markets or out, international markets and trying to, spend it here in the US and try to defend Bud Light and you know the things I know that they're doing like they have a maybe a special can for veterans they have a Harley Davidson uh collab can you know trying to trying to yeah <laughs> trying but to it's but like core. you said it yourself like the consumer's smart and because they were so explicit in their messaging like through that leak tick that leak video it's just it makes it so uh, or not leak but that video it just makes it so hard because then they just know what they're trying to do right it's just like grasping at straws at that point um right and then so. you, you know the the cei is like um you know the hrc puts this out it's like a a vote you know for workplaces like how, how good of a workplace you are for employees and and they had a perfect hundred score and then they've now suspended um abm bev because they haven't sort of supported you know transgender rights after this has come out like they they haven't said anything to support the, the, the influencer, right, at, at question. So they're even pissing off the people that they were trying to reach with the the, the video or, or the collaboration itself. So they've made no one happy. And it, I I don't see what they can do. And I'd be curious what, you know, you think they, they could even do. I think right now that they're, they're, what they're looking at is hoping that the distributors can sort of speak for themselves. Like you've heard, maybe some distributor, you know, this is all third-party distributors, right? You can't distribute it yourself. Um, and they're hurt by this too, right? Their business is down just as much where they've come out, you know, bashing corporate and saying, you know, we have real employees here in our local town that, you know, our, our sales are down and we didn't do this, right? They're trying to do that. I don't think that matters. I think they're, you know, sort of 
cannon fodder in this this cultural war. Um, I, I don't know what what do you what do you guys see from your angle in terms of what they can do, if anything. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll chime in. And I know Felix had a question, but like, I, it's so hard when a brand starts catching fire like this. Um, you know, frankly, uh, the only thing that they can probably do is just time. Like, and that's not even something they can do, right? It's just, you know, people tend to have short memories. Um, I, you know, this isn't a boycott, right? So they'll probably have to, um, it'll take a long time for them to kind of claw it back. But, you know, once, I mean, maybe I would just even look at, um, you know what I would do if you haven't already, I would look at Google Trends and look at for like, you know, Bud Light, um, whatever, like a bunch of keywords, right? And I would just track that over time. And I bet you that would be a really good uh, coincident high correlation indicator of what's going on for sales. Because like, you know, I see it in my space all the time, right? Like it's virality, it's social, it's media component, it's branding. And typically when those things catch fire, like they break out, but then they hit the hype and then they kind of roll over. So I would definitely, that would be an interesting, uh, I don't know if you did look at that. If you did, I missed it, but that could be something that's interesting. Um, but it's also one of those things where it's like you're catching a falling knife, right? So you're, like, you're pouring more marketing dollars behind something. You could just be throwing good money after bad and making the problem worse. The grassroots thing that you just described with the distributor sounds interesting and potentially, right, you know, as an offset. Um <clears throat> You know, but uh, it's it's something that's, I, you know, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I'm thinking about like there was the Facebook boycott that happened right um, with at large advertisers. Obviously, that was impactful, but very short term, because what's your alternative to advertising on Facebook and Instagram? There's nothing right. Like and you I thought your points earlier around, you know, E. coli breakouts and all these things like you know, like, what's your, the question's like, oh, what's your alternative? Like, you know, in this case, if it's such an easy substitute, um, then maybe those market share gains are permanent, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I, I, I'll leave it at that. I know um, Ami and Felix, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I know Felix, you had a question. Felix, why don't you jump in? I'll save my thoughts. Hey, Daniel. Um, it's, it's really good to hear from you. Um, Actually, let me let me uh, just address your kind of question before I ask you my question. But look, I think in China, it's a little bit different if you boycott a potential product. I mean, I see it all the time in e-commerce when you have uh, fake products, fake goods or damaged products, damaged goods. And, you know, the platform gets a lot of heat and it spreads like wildfire on social media that's happened already multiple times this year. This is an ongoing issue. Um, but people have short memories. Uh, eventually, you know, they get back to the platform and figure out, you know, hey, we still need to buy this kind of stuff. Maybe we'll, you know, give them a um, mulligan, so to speak. From the platform's perspective, you know, in my sort of case studies from my area, it's more like, okay, we have to contain this from a PR perspective, but also, you know, give all the refunds possible on the damaged goods or the, or the misadvertised uh, mis goods or products. Um, and in addition, there are some platforms out there uh, 
that give you a 10 for one refund. That's insane. So, uh, you know, if you buy something for like 20 yuan, you'll, you'll get 200 yuan back because of this type of dispute. So anyway, there are measures, you know, companies in China can do to sort of contain this, but yeah, they're going to feel the heat at least in the near term. Um, but I, I actually had a question for you, Daniel, since we're on the topic of beers, um, I'm not a big heavy beer drinker. I love Guinness and, and also Bud Light, but here <laughs> is on whether, you know, any American brands have made any kind of penetration into the China market. I've been kind of hearing from the grapevine that, you know, Chinese consumers have actually found foreign premium beer to be very interesting. Um, so I wonder if they, you know, there's any kind of adoption opportunity or growth opportunity for s- some of these beer companies uh, as with respect to China. Well, I, I definitely think there was, you know, before this happened, I was actually long Anheuser-Busch InBev in, in China. That reopening was one of the reasons, you know, China has a higher on-premise mix. And like you said, the U.S. beers are sort of seen as premium, but they they also have um, a, a Chinese beer as well that they you know, sort of have a, a stake in, right? So it's, it's both, you know, a local brand as well as, you know, their Corona is, is you know, selling in, especially in the higher end places, right? And so is the Budweiser brand itself. So that's, that's part of it. Um, you, you know, Felix, I was thinking compared to China, it, it might be like, I, I don't know what's happened with the NBA. I know that brand kind of got impaired, you know, with some of the, you know, what some of the athletes had said, or maybe the owners of the Rockets. I would say I wonder if the, the NBA in China is a little more similar to what um, you know Bud Light is to ABM Bev in terms of brand impairment. Yeah, um, I mean the issue of the NBA is it's super hot. Um, every every almost every teenager, particularly male, knows the NBA in, in China, and they're very big sports enthusiasts. So you know Tencent. Uh, NBA, uh, NBA sports or, uh, or just NBA, but, and also some of the state-owned television stations. I mean, they're, they're all trying to um, mend that relationship. I think it, it's already mended, frankly. I think they, they've already established a new framework and a new deal on televising NBA. It's just a question of, well, you know, can it still be live? Is it on delay? Which, yeah. And um, and so forth. But there's no doubt in my mind that uh, NBA is a huge market uh, for um, if you're looking for sports enthusiasts in China. They're absolutely crazy. Um, outside of, you know, uh, soccer, um, NBA are probably is probably ranked up there as some of the most popular um, pastimes. So, uh, but it looks like they've, they've re, at least from my knowledge, it looks like they've renegotiated that contract and, and, and try to forget about what happened with, you know, uh, because I, I think it was some words that were spoken that was sensitive and controversial. And uh, from my knowledge, I think people have probably moved on from that uh, incident. Yeah, and I guess one big difference is just the role the Chinese government played in keeping that down as opposed to this is really just an organic reaction, right? And it's not really controlled by any 
one person. So this is really from the people. <laughs> yeah, um, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So Daniel, I, I just sent you on Slack. I was just, while you guys were chatting, I just looked at boycott Anheuser-Busch on Google Trends. And then I also looked at Bud Light Search. So it does look like it kind of peaked out in terms of unlike <clears throat> the, the second week of April. But, you know, but obviously there's like can be lingering effects. But like if you look at the states, right, it's it's like Alaska, Wyoming, Montana, North Dakota, Arkansas, uh, West Virginia, Nebraska, Montana, Ohio, Wisconsin. So like, you know, it's uh, it all makes sense. Like in, in terms of, you know, what you were saying in terms of where your core core customer is and where they're seeing the this greatest impact. In fact, like Connecticut, Connecticut is 41 <laughs> on that list. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And then we know some of the sales trends regionally in, in the Northeast and the Pacific Northwest are sort of the least impacted, but they're still down like low double digits. But, you know, some of the, the dark states like the mountain plain states and, and down south they're you know, they're down even worse. They're down, you know, more than a third. So uh, it's like like you would expect, you know, no, no surprises. Right. That's where the but they should have known better. Right. Because that's that's who their customer is. Yeah, I mean, the the um, the only. Like, hey, hey, Daniel, uh, I, I wonder if we can sort of. Uh, oh, sorry. I didn't want to interrupt. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Felix. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was wondering if we could uh, sw switch topics a little bit into Walmart. I, I know you, um, I know you covered that company. This is just from my perspective. I had a very burning question to ask you um, because I've been thinking about it for a while, which is live streaming with Walmart and TikTok. Um, what's the deal there, Daniel? Are they serious about? You know, potentially expanding that opportunity, try to reach a more of a younger demographic through that partnership. Or, uh, I'm just curious, like what what is Walmart's actual relationship with TikTok at the moment, and any type of e-commerce aspirations they may have? Well, so I I don't have any you know special insights there. I, I will say you know digitally they've pulled back and sold almost all their e-commerce brands that they sort of accumulated when they bought Jet with from Mark Lori. So I, I, they haven't given up on e-commerce, right? So digital grocery is still, uh, they're, they're the big winner after the, the whole pandemic thing is settled when the dust is cleared that, you know, they're the winner, um, you know, just having grocery and, and non-grocery items in the same order is very popular with customers. So that's going, that's here to stay, but right, but right now, you know, they got rid of the other e-commerce thing. So I, I do think that they would, you know, they test sort of everything they're, they're willing to try. And so I, I think if, if they can see some sales gains there, that there will, uh, you know, they also have that, you know, Paramount um, plus, right, Andrew, you know, trying to have um, that offset to Amazon. I think they're, they're, they dabble and they're so big that they can experiment. Um, right. Yeah. Felix. So on the TikTok thing, can I, I can offer some insight, maybe like they started ramping that up in like late 2020, early 2021, experimenting with the live stream and the shopping. Um I heard that it went all right, like um, from a marketing standpoint. Um, and then, you know, obviously Walmart also has that their retail media business, right, Daniel? So like they are also kind of looking to find ways. 
and part and media platforms that they can kind of partner with to drive more advertising dollars and, you know, using the data um, that they have um, by getting like, you know, TikTok is a form of inventory and supply, right. That they can feed their entire um, retail media network to. So um, yeah, I, I mean, it's the whole live stream shopping thing, you know, with TikTok. I, I mean, it seemed like it was like all the craze, um, you know, in 2021, like during the pandemic, I think it's kind of like leveled out a little bit, at least from the conversations that I have. Um, so that's kind of deviating a little bit uh, outside of the whole, you know, Walmart piece of it. Um, but um, actually on Walmart, Daniel, <laughs> you know, Target's obviously come into like the crosshairs as well. Is, yeah. is there, is there, is there any, like, are you seeing, cause I know you cover Walmart um, has obviously a big, like, um, you know, defensive uh, staples exposure, but like, has there been anything in terms of like Walmart picking up market share or anything like that? Like from, from Target as a result of what's going on? Well, that, that's interesting too. Um, you know, so I'm long Walmart, Brian covers, Brian McGough covers uh, Target and he's short Target. And they had very com- diverging results in Q1. So Walmart, because you know, part of why I, I, I like it, I'm recommending it is, is it's, you know, mostly a grocer, right? So most, most of their sales, like two thirds of the sales are grocery consumable type items. And it's much less for Target. Target sort of does it as an afterthought. And they really depend on that apparel and all the other merchandise like beauty and stuff. So um, outside of this whole, you know, you know, this, and I would call it target as more of a, a regular boycott, right? You know, it's the brand. I don't think, I don't think the, I, I guess it's arguable, but I don't think the brand is as impaired. It's, it's more, you know, it, it's more customers. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a retailer and, you know, like it's like Bud Light's like a product. It's like a specific yeah, yeah product. It's not the and, same. And, and, and Target might be like what the other companies were talking about like when Felix was talking about platforms where, you know, some people Target's the only game in town, right? So as far as a brick and mortar retailer for certain items, right? So you, you kind of have to go there to shop. Whereas Bud Light, I think we've established is very replaceable. Like there's <laughs> yeah, always it, it's kind of like it, it would be the equivalent of like people boycotting liquor stores almost because of their carry Bud Light. It's like, that's probably not going to happen. You know, like they'll they'll go and get something else. Anyway, I thought that was just an interesting point. Ami, I know I know you had something earlier. Uh, I I just want to hear the end of what Daniel was saying. So uh, we we get the Bud Light scanner data on a weekly basis, so we know real time that things are only getting worse. We don't get the Target, um, Walmart, you know, sales data by week. You know, people do get credit card stuff. You know, it, it has it has turned south for Target. It not not anything like the same level, but enough where, and especially I think in some regions of the country. So Target's almost trying to have their cake and eat it too, by trying to you know move items and you know, maybe in the south that are offending some people there, and and not changing anything in other places of the country. So um, like like you would expect, not as much, but still the impact can can matter, right? When you have too much inventory. That leads to problems, and you know, retail is a very competitive game. And you know, if you have five less customers walking into the door, that's make or break a quarter. Hi, Robert McGordy here, director of subscriber development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief Keith McCullough's macro overlay. 
Our team of 40-plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high-conviction, long-and-short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. And tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. I didn't hey. know about the Target scandal. What was that? They just featured, um, you know, some uh, I don't know, transgender uh, yeah. as well as gay rights um, apparel merchandise. And what yeah. people got upset about was um, some swimwear that seemed to be targeting children with um, you know, transgender swimsuits for children. I think that's that's I think what's um, upset people the most. Yep. Hey, hey, guys, if I can jump in again on the Walmart question, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm curious to hear Daniel's thoughts on um, what the company has said with, with China, because I know they have pretty significant exposure, particularly on imports from China, but not only that, but like they have different partnerships with a variety of different platforms, particularly grocery platforms in China. Um, uh, so I'm just curious, have they made any type of commentary on what's going on in China uh, during the latest earnings call? I'm just curious. Uh, you know, I, I can do a quick look. I, I don't recall China really being a, a top topic. It, it hasn't uh, really come up as much as, except outside of the sourcing. So, you know, just to give you a little background, the last year has been pretty challenging for Target, Walmart. You know, the, the consumer really slowed their spending Nice sales uh, starting about this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier, but um, so they really had to start canceling a lot of goods. And, you know, there's a long la- uh, lead times and they've been dealing with too much inventory and, um, you know, people spending more of their budget in, in the food aisles than, than the general merchandise, which is where they make more of their margin. So that's really what been the analyst focus. China hasn't come up as often, except for the, you know, in terms of the production cycle. So supply chain is is better. Um, you know, you can see from the freight rates that, you know, the Target and Walmart, you know, some of the biggest importers in the United States, they have really not increased their orders again, right? There's, it's still down and all, all they want to talk about is how much their inventories are lower. Uh, they, they haven't spent as much time talking just because it's not not a, a driver of, of, you know, the EPS right now. Um, you know, in China in terms of growth, but it doesn't get as much attention on the international operations um, just because of how small it is in relative size to the whole company. But it doesn't mean they don't care. It's just that's what the analysts ask about. Gotcha. Appreciate it. So, well, I did have like a, a Bud Light uh, thought Um but more like it's just humorous more than anything else. But like, you know how like Trump lost the last election. So to some degree, he has to sort of forgive people who voted, you know, not for him and say, it's okay to make mistakes. Just get it right the next time. There's some alignment between that and Bud Light where Bud Light can, if they align with, I don't know, maybe that's like directly at that tier of, uh, voters and demographics and so on and so forth. Like if they, if they, if that can if Bud Light partners with Trump, the Trump campaign. Anyway, that's a, that's a humorous thing, you know, like if they really want to like recover. Um, 
you know, and basically like Trump be like, hey, people make mistakes, but like made a mistake, you know, like, you know, type of thing. And just I, I don't I don't think that's going to do it because, you know, Trump's not leading this or anything. This is organic, right? Without a leader. So, you know, just to give you an example, I, I don't know which one of his sons did it, but one of his sons said early on within the first week, don't boycott Budweiser because they're, you know, they donate more money to the Republicans. They donate more money, I don't, I don't know, to Trump himself, but to Republicans than they do Democrats. They're, you know, he was trying to say on Twitter, he's trying to say they're, they're a good guy. They're not a, a bad guy. Yeah, people don't care. Sales have gone down. Anyway. There's there's no leader for this, you know. So you can't just turn it on or off. There's no one person in charge, right? I, that's why I think it's an impaired brand. That's awesome. Yeah, and the benefits for number two and number three, who are one company, are just going to continue and continue and continue. Um, as, long, as long as they don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Hot potato. Um, maybe just off of the Walmart questions, I'm I'm wondering a little bit um, if I can ask you to take a temp take the temperature of the consumer from from to the extent that you have thoughts about where like i could talk about an enterprise tech where we're seeing slowdown and how that's changing and so on and so forth but kind of like where has the consumer been impaired is to some degree our 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 budgets getting relief with inflation slowing down and so consumers are getting relief now or does the overall, you know, macro trends over outweigh that, and 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 bud, you know, consumer budgets are down. And how do you see this unfolding in the next like kind of like ten months or so? Sure, um, right. The, so that rate of change, right? The inflation is disinflating. I don't think that's how the consumer uh, views things, right? They they still view it as that things are very expensive. They need it to be down sequentially, not you know, up at a slower rate. That, that's my personal thought. You know, we as analysts do it differently, right? Because stocks don't behave just like the consumer does. So I don't, I don't think they're seeing that much relief. We are at, at sort of, we're getting to some big peak year over year changes in um, gasoline. You know, so gasoline really surged in, in June. So it's a, it's a year over year benefit. You know, if you looked at, listened to their call, what, they got a lot of questions about, you know, emergency food stamps have ended March 1. So, that's been a big benefit for the bottom, you know, 10% of households. And then that's, you know, had a big hit to that. On the other hand, though, what I see coming forward, which I think is an even bigger deal, is, is the student loans resuming those payments, because that's larger than, you know, the what people receive in student uh, and, and food stamps. So that, that, you know, student loans resuming, maybe Walmart's not the, the perfect place where, you know, college you know, graduates spend their money, but, you know, that in terms of the size to the economy and the consumer budget is about the same. And that's going from zero to, you know, say $400 a month, right? Whereas the the the, the food stamp spending is declining by, you know, $70, $80 sequentially. So I think that's going to happen. Walmart has been talking about, you know, in the most recent conference calls is, is a um, higher income people coming to their store. And then people in the store trading down to more private label, everything that you would expect, right? It's not, it's not horrific. It's not tremendous, but there's definitely trade down and trade into Walmart. So, you know, what, what happens going forward when, you know, some real stress happens, that's, you know, it'll probably just get worse. Got it. Yeah. So, so essentially like, you know, um, still having like stimulus coming out of the economy now, with, you know, kind of like the, the food stamps and the, uh, and the, and the student loan forgiveness, you know, kind of 
ending. Didn't hadn't really thought about that. Hadn't thought about stimulus being, being still present in the market um, all through to now. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I unless you guys had a question about uh, the consumer, I wanted to shift to something else. No, no, nope. no, I'm good. Um, Go ahead, Ami. So. I, I think of our jobs um, more like the buy side than the sell side, uh, Daniel. Um, not that we're paid on performance. To a certain degree, we are because our customers kind of like move with us and win with us. Um, but to the extent that like we don't care about, we're not, um, we don't care about just sort of like, um, let's say moving earnings forward on moving earnings models forward on 25 companies and keeping relationships for, for non-deal roadshows going with 25 different management teams and um, sort of the blocking and tackling stuff. Like we don't really do any of that. Um, and, um, and so it really is just about like a best idea model, or at least that's kind of like how it's, it, it was meant to be and still feels that way to me with the difference that maybe like, um, you know, a buy sider can put a short on today and take it off tomorrow and, you know, whatever. And it's, we don't have, that's not, we don't have that. And, and also buy sider's moves are completely opaque and ours are, are completely um, out in the open, which is good. Our customers can learn from us, uh, hopefully on both sides. So, I, but I'm curious, like you spent a really long time um, uh, on the buy side before coming to Hedgeye. And I'm, I'm really curious to see, to understand, like in your view, like the difference between this job, this role and the buy side and how, how it has either hurt or helped your process over time. I, I like when you say uh, a really long time makes me feel old. Um, no, there, there are a lot of differences. Yeah, I'm in the same bucket. We graduated college <laughs> the same year. Yeah, okay. Um, there are a lot of differences, uh, you know, I, I think there are probably more differences and similarities, right? Um, you know, what we're trying to do. Uh, but I, I, so I started off in the sell side and I switched to the buy side because I thought that was more aligned with, you know, just my personality and, and what I liked. Uh, but I also thought there'd be, you know, less politics and I was wrong about the latter. And, you know, my, my personality is also changed as well. You know, um, I voted most, most shy in high school, right? That was my superlative. So for me to, to get out there and speak to people, that's not what I wanted. When I was 23-year-old and, uh, you know, seeing my boss on CNBC, that's not what I aspire to do. I'd much rather, you know, have that anonymity of, of having a stock. And yeah, maybe you see it in the 13 Fs that I owned it, but you don't know when I sold it, right? Like only one person, you know, only internally do they know my performance, my performance isn't out there for everyone to see all the time and, and comment on. And believe me, they do comment on it. Right. So it's, it's a little different, but so I think I've adjusted and my process is adjusted with that. I think with anything, it helps to um, see more sides, right. No matter what it like, take, take anything you, you want, you know, whether it's like engineering or, or sports, if you do one thing, it helps if you've had an experience doing something a little bit different too. Right. So I, I think that helps, uh, you know, my second time around on the sell side that I had that, that buy side experience. If I, you know, was, I wouldn't be the exact same, you know, sell side analyst if I had never sort of left Lehman, right? I mean, obviously Lehman did, <laughs> went away, but um, 
I, I think that that helps. And, and it's just uh, also resources, what resources different places have. You mentioned we don't spend nearly any time worrying about, you know, calling, you know, investor relations to make sure we're, you know, towing the line on the quarter and, and where our estimates are and, and that type of thing. Uh, you know, we, we spend our time elsewhere, right? But so it's, um, you know, it's all about resources and, and ultimately, you know, the hedge model is we're here for the clients, right? So if the clients, if they wanted us to, you know, dial down on the quarter of the best, that's what we do. If they want us to just pick stocks, that's what we do. And also if they just want, you know, perspective on Bud Light, you know, have I seen anything like this in my career? What else can I liken it to? Um, so I'm going to discuss it through because, you know, a lot of times you know, you're at the buy side, you're, you're alone. There's no one else who covers, let's say, beer companies at your firm, right? That's often the case. So you have no one really else to talk about this and talk it through, right? So um, sometimes they, they just want to discuss this with you too. And that's why I think it helps have that experience. Got it. And and then from a stock picking perspective, how have your how has your process changed um, since you got to Hedgehog? Right, it's definitely changed. I think the biggest thing that I, I'd say number one is using Keith's quads more. So you know, I, I so I was uh, backing up. I was one of the Hedgeye's first customers, but I think correct me if I'm wrong, Felix. I don't think we had the whole quad thing back then, right? So I started before that, and you know. I'm integrating it more and more. I think I'm integrating it more now than I was just six months ago, right? With paying more attention to style factors, trying to be quicker. Um, you know, there's always that, you know, we're always trying, all of us are trying to balance, you know, not to do things on a day-to-day, you know, thing, um, but, you know, not also trying to do things on a three-year basis, right? So trying to balance all through that, right? And that that's the same thing on the buy side. It's a duration, right? Like if, if Warren Buffett was at a pod shop, he would have been fired, you know, before he hit 25 years old. Right. So um, you have to find that duration match. And, you know, I think our, I think our clients are, are probably getting shorter and shorter as well. So, um, you know, trying to adapt to that too. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, The Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. Um, if I if I come, if I bring, let's bring that full circle now as, as, as we think about, as you think about your sector, um, and you can also, if you prefer to comment outside your sector, um, given the things we talked about, we've got, I called it boycott economics uh, or, or how to kill a brand in 10 days. But I think you you talked about impairment. Um, I think you and Andrew talked about Target as well. And in the context of uh, sort of culture wars and hot button issues, um, we talked a little bit about uh, Walmart's outperformance against other a brand, a retail outlets. Uh, we talked a little bit about the consumer pressure on the consumer, further pressure coming on the consumer. So when you're when you're thinking about stock picking now uh, uh, through all of this, um, are there par- puzzle pieces where you're like, I absolutely love 
I want to be, I don't know, long utilities and short the this, and I want to be, I hate tech and I this and want to be this and that, and or the bubble is still here, or or um, or for me, I want to I want to be like no cash, no equities. I don't know. Tell me, tell me how you're stock picking through either from your sector thematically or 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 wider than that. Like how, how bring that all together because like your your the things we just touched on even just in the last few minutes, just your coverage covers on so many different er interesting areas of the economy. Right, uh, it, it does. Um, so I'd say, you know, consumer staples, you know, the, the sector tends to benefit when your sectors, right? All, all three of your, your respective sectors are having more problems, right? When the consumer is having problems, they still have to eat. So, um, you know, I, I tend to, you know, I don't wanna use the word thrive, but I tend to benefit from, you know, hardship elsewhere, right? Uh, you know, that they are, you know, cutting discretionary spend when the food prices are up by 13%, right? So, um, you know, looking at that, but so that the, the group is, is, you know, has, has a big macro um, portion to it, right? And, you know, and I think when I listen to Keith and I, I view a tougher environment for the consumer, and I, I just don't see too much of that from my companies, you know, I, you know, just looking at it from bottoms up, right? From my companies, like they're they're not having a problem passing on price. You know, the the unit declines from are, are so small compared to the price increases that they're getting. We're also coming against this big comparison of when their margins got crunched from the supply chain issues, and and you know the spikes in all the commodities. Now they're getting huge margin gains. So, you know, I'm not I'm not just looking at it just that way, but I'm also looking forward. You know, to um, you know, inflation I think is 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 not going up as much, right? So I think what's going to matter more for my companies is organic growth, which is sort of a lens I've always looked at consumer staples companies from. So I'm, I'm concentrating on, uh, especially on my top picks, where I have good visibility into unit growth in the second half of the year and, and beyond. So uh, that's generally where my my starting place is in consumer staples. Like, if I can't say like I don't know where, you know, unit growth will be, you know, in Q4 or Q1, it makes it hard for me to recommend a company, right? When, when I have sort of no clue, like what, what you know, you know, let's say, just say um, chicken, will, you know, demand is going to do in the second half, right? So, I, and that kind of keeps me from that because I, I really want um, that visibility and in, in, in order to have that conviction. And I think that's what you're looking for in consumer staples. So I can't recommend you know, companies that where I don't have that visibility because I think that's what you want when you invest in consumer staples. So I, I try to be looking at those companies. And so I, I, we probably don't have time to go through them, but that's that's what, if you look at the top of my position monitor, you have companies where I have very good conviction in that uh, unit growth uh, in the second half in early 2023. Okay, I, that's interesting. So visibility in unit growth in Q4, uh, Andrew, I, I I almost want to be like Andrew. Which one of your companies has that? Felix, which one of your companies has that? It's a, it's a good way to think about things. A good lens for us. Um, I know we're, we're getting to the end of our time. I know. Uh, I think Felix's wife had a question for you, Daniel, as well. Uh, Felix, go for it. So I'm gonna ask on behalf of my wife, but she's been always worrying about the egg prices at Walmart and Costco and other grocery stores. Curious to see. If those are where egg prices are, you know, in the last couple of weeks, but it's really fallen. Uh, the bird flu is is you know still around, but it, it's not getting any worse. 
And, you know, chicken is, is, is still the easiest, um, you know, protein or, you know, animal to, to, you know, to grow and raise, right? So they have the shortest cycles, whereas beef, you know, it takes two years. So we're going to enter a, a, you know, pretty tough beef cycle, but, you know, chicken eggs is something that you, you know, um, unless there's a real issue that it, it's any sort of price spikes are going to get addressed in relatively short periods of time because the, the you'd be surprised at how, how quickly it is uh, that a chicken goes from being born to being able to have its own eggs. So it's, it's fast enough for even the pod shops. How about that? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome. Well, um, Daniel, we're coming up on the hour. So I wanted to, uh, to wrap there and uh, thank you very much for being on our podcast. Really appreciate it. I think we covered a lot of ground, the consumer, this, culture war stuff just just fascinating my brain is still melting from the whole subject and i think you did a really good job of explaining it um i'm looking forward to going through the slides of your deck as well i encourage all of our listeners to um sign up for uh for uh the hedge at consumer staples pro so that you can get access uh to daniel's presentation um on the sort of bud light and and you know debacle and the benefit to uh to uh, uh molson and and coors um and uh to see that analysis and and to uh, to learn from daniel as well um we really have uh, appreciated this uh and and hopefully we'll have you back on again soon to talk about uh other exciting issues and and more on the consumer and uh unit visibility and other elements uh, uh perhaps uh, supply chain next time as well and, and egg prices. And egg prices. Thanks. And next time I'm going to have more questions. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Daniel. And um, thanks to our listeners. And we'll see you next time. Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.